for the last couple of weeks, the cryptocurrency markets have been absolutely shitting the bed. Affiliates of ours like Bennett Tomlin and Protos have been hard at work covering every angle of this story. And today we're going to take a stab at assimilating this story into our analytical lens. I'm Mike Spencer. And this is Austin, and you're listening to COINTELPRO. Take it from Sam Bankrun Fraud. <laughs> uh, oh, okay. Here we go. This will be good. Sam Bankman Fraud. <clears throat> I'm sorry. Sam Bankman Freed, a top donor for the Democrats and an incredibly wealthy young man at the age of 29, was loaning his investment firm, Alameda, money from his cryptocurrency exchange, FTX. This is a story that's caused ripples across the cryptocurrency industry. Although I've noted surprisingly limited penetration into like mainstream awareness, like big outlets have covered it. But as far as yeah. like uh, moving the needle for the average person. I've talked to a lot of people just kind of in my own like sort of workspace. I've kind of tossed this out there and asked, you know, have you heard about what's been going on? And no one has a clue. Albeit. This isn't the first time in 2022 that significantly sized crypto projects have crumbled under the shady business practices of the stakeholders. I've been watching a lot of kind of analysis on what's been going on in relation to uh, Sam Bankman Freed and FTX. And a lot of the comments, specifically on these YouTube videos that I've been watching, for example, have pointed out the sort of conspicuous lack of coverage from mainstream outlets. And not that they haven't been covering it because they they have, but in a lot of ways, this collapse is on the same level financially as like Enron, for example. And yet Enron was this massive thing. And here we have something that isn't getting the same level of coverage necessarily when it came out that Binance wasn't going to buy FTX, that FTX was going to be folding that that was the, you know, the most wealth that had ever been wiped out in a, in a single day. Um, but I suppose that the, the key distinction right between uh, other events of similar magnitude and this one is that this one occurred firmly outside of the traditional investment market and i think that in terms of that speculation it was being carried out by people who were uh, at least in their own minds antagonistic to legacy financial institutions but listen, I mean, CNN and Fox News don't want to cover the wild-haired 29-year-old billionaire who drives a shitty Toyota to make himself appear as though he's a man of the people. They don't want to do that. And I, I, I get it. So, And as we'll get to later, there are 
people on the right, or at least people who don't align with the uh, capital D Democratic Party, yeah. uh, who who will speculate as to the reason why uh, this story right. hasn't been able to gain traction in front of the wider public. So Sam Bankman-Fried entered into the wider public consciousness as his attempts to purchase favor among politicians and regulators led him to be a leading exponent of the Democrats' efforts in this year's midterm. SBF CEO at FTX was Ryan Salam, who helped the Democrats in their efforts to fund right-wing political candidates in this year's midterm. And it wasn't just by proxy uh, that... SBF and his subsidiaries were participated in this because he himself also donated to a conservative PAC in Alabama that supported Katie Britt, a known election denier. And what remains to be seen is whether SBF and his cronies will see any significant consequences for their actions here. Elon Musk, who has been having just a great couple of weeks himself, suggested that SBF status as a DNC donor will protect him from further investigation. And while investigations are in no way prohibited by SBF's political activity, it seems likely that he'll have successfully curried favor from regulators during this election cycle. And I feel a little bit of obligation to help out my colleagues who are very adept at studying you know, cryptocurrency and finance and know sort of all the ins and outs of, you know, financial fraud and uh, the various tactics that go on in that industry at large. Uh, but I do think that there's been a little bit of a struggle among my fellow skeptics to accurately characterize Sam Bankman frieds political alignment. You know, I think that the way we've just characterized it here is kind of how I see it, which is that Sam Bankman-Fried was in the act of purchasing regulators. We shouldn't be distracted by the extent to which he's fund people, funded candidates on the right because we've known that this was a broader strategy of the Democratic Party in the 2022 midterm. SPF was, a, was seen to be funding both sides actually isn't confusing if you are kind of following what's been going on in in democratic politics over the last, you know, 18 to 24 months. And to the extent that he was engaged in funding these right-wing candidates, it was, you know, still in his role as a top DNC donor. So I think it should be noted before we kind of transition on to this next part that for years now, Sam Bankman-Fried has been the darling prince of the crypto industry. It clearly came as a surprise to proponents of cryptocurrency when rumors began to circulate early this month that FTX was insolvent. The partners and collaborators with Sam Bankman-Fried and FTX, Alameda, um, began to signal their distrust earlier this month by withdrawing resources from this network of entities and subsidiaries. And Sam Bankman-Fried obfuscated and spun media narratives from a beanbag chair in the Bahamas, quite literally. It seemed like Binance, another major crypto exchange, uh, would bail out FTX for the sake of saving its market share. But on November 9th, 
Binance announced that they wouldn't be touching FTX with a 10-foot pole, uh, probably as a result of doing even a cursory amount of due diligence on their part. You know, there was kind of this cascading effect as giant stakeholders in the cryptocurrency space had their money mixed in with SBF and, and his projects, right? And yeah. We saw FTX make an initial bankruptcy declaration claiming more than 130 of Sam Bankman-Fried's entities, which is a wild number to me that there were 130 private business entities wrapped up in this, you know, octopus-like network under Sam Bankman-Fried. I mean, it's just, it's mind-blowing to me. That's right. There were four silos of this bankruptcy filing. You know the the fur you know among them being you know FTX and Alameda right um, as well as a ventures silo and a dot com silo um, which is where FTX was housed and the filing is extensive right uh, that said this was a billionaire you know that kind of money can amass a vast financial empire. And that's what we're talking about when we're talking about it it going belly up. So last week, uh, Protoss reported, quote, FTX chief executive John J. Ray III has filed his first declaration in the bankruptcy of FTX. And Ray, who had served as the, I'm going to put some asterisks, some verbal asterisks around this here, who had served as the chairman of Enron during its bankruptcy, stated that he had never seen, quote, such a complete failure of corporate controls and such a complete absence of trustworthy financial information, end quote. I, I'm yet to work up a riff for that, right? The Protoss headline, I, you know, that I think you're obligated to go with it was FTX bankruptcy, a complete failure, comma, worse than Enron. I think that that's 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 all you have to say, but but yeah, um, and what I'm about to sort of like unfold here is some main points in this bankruptcy filing. Sam Bankman-Fried claimed that it, his investment firm Alameda and FTX, this cryptocurrency exchange, were independent of each other. A point he was maintaining just a matter of weeks ago, um, and that he didn't control Alameda, right? The investment firm. Um, in fact, he controlled 90% of Alameda's shares. That's one of the things that that has not become abundantly clear. Um, the other thing was what you sort of led us into this topic with, which is that uh, FTX had no serious accounting system. There were entire companies within that 130 entity pool that we were talking about that just didn't have accounting departments. I'm quoting now here from the Protos piece, whose title I mentioned a moment ago. They lacked an accurate list of bank accounts and signatories. Mm -hmm. uh, FTX had billions in investments outside of crypto, right? So they, we're talking about like um, a very large op operation that goes well beyond you know the confines of cryptocurrency. It would have to, right? They, otherwise, what would the name of the the game be? What would be the point of of operating this way. And I think that over and above all else, if you're looking for intentions here, one of the other things that, uh, you know, that we uh, get from this reporting, you know, is that uh, Sam Bankman Freed was often communicating his business decisions using, you know, applications with auto delete functions, right? Like 
you know, the type of thing that you can do on a lot of like encrypted me- messaging software. And it also would be the type of thing that you would do if you knew that the directions and the inputs that you were giving to your business were uh, possibly incriminating. But these are all of the the things that we're picking over. And I guess that the, you know, for us and for the purposes of the show, we're a lot more interested in how this kind of fits, right? How do we interpret this in the context of what has actually been a really bad, you know, eight months or so in the crypto industry? You know, yeah. it, it cast your mind back to the Super Bowl and, you know, it, crypto was flying high, right? You know, the. I mean, how much has Bitcoin fallen, for example, over that period? I mean, it's a staggering, you know, down from heights of nearly 70 grand. And so there's been lots of fallout. And I think we should get to that now. There was a point where you were like, someone, where is this boy's lawyer? Like, how is he still posting? Uh, but he was uh, and and did well after it seemed like the the final bell had rung on yeah. on on everything that uh, that had come before. Protos published a story last week uh, that was surveying all of his media engagements and sort of looking back on it, you know, reading you know reading into them a little bit what was what was actually going on versus the types of statements that he'd been given. He had done, uh, you know, quite a, quite a lot of media, right. And we're talking not just about things written about him, but things that that he said in the press. Right. And I I would just recommend having a a look at that. I wanted to plug it here and, and put it in the, I'll make sure to put it in the show notes as well. Sure. As you look into the lives of some of the people in this space, you know, they don't seem to sort of match up with what you would expect from somebody who's that wealthy, right? You know, the fact that Sam Bankman-Fried, you know, is playing League of Legends and hanging out in a beanbag chair, you know, the fact that I think at one point, you know, he was like giving his like first media statements on this sort of, you know, once it became apparent what was happening to FTX, one of his first statements was a Twitter DM thread with an Axios reporter. Which is a really weird thing to do. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's just like, the, <laughs> and, and so there, there's been this whole thing where it's like, oh, this was like the first, you know, uh, this was the first Web3, like, white collar criminal activity of the scale, you know, and, and everybody just can't get over the fact that, you know, this guy plays League of Legends He was on the phone playing League of Legends while negotiating a $210 million investment deal into FTX and the general Sam Bankman-Fried crypto empire. So, Michael, what's the fallout been across the entire industry? Cryptocurrency markets had been re- like rebounding at the end of October from a, like a long bear market, right? Like there were lots of people, you know, whether you held BTC or Ether who were under the impression that they were seeing, you know, a light at the end of the tunnel 
in terms of this long winter that crypto has experienced after its heights in early 2022. You know, but this week, analysts like Will Canny uh, wrote in Coindesk about how the industry actually could now see its woes continue until the end of 2023. You know, I think it's worth noting that that's justified if a giant chunk of the ostensible value and speculative bubble was built on, you know, Sam Bankman Freed and the chain of other, uh, you know, crypto frauds and collapses that we've seen over the last year. And so, you know, we may see that continue, or at least analysts are, are saying they suspect it will. People are also being honest about the value of their shit coins as well. Uh, you know, I, I, I think that Doge, Doge yeah, I think a coin. lot of that has been, you know, kind of shown to be what I think reasonable people always knew it would be, which is, you know, you're, nobody wants your beanie babies, unfortunately. But the people who see themselves as owning the good coins, right, uh, the Bitcoiners, the Maxis, right, the people who have real ideological convictions about this stuff, you know, are irritated, as you might imagine, about what has occurred here, especially because they thought that markets would be rebounding, that they were, you know, on their way now to 90,000 or whatever the next, you know, height in the linear progression of Bitcoin's value uh, that they were predicting or were hoping that they were on the cusp of. Uh, instead, people who have Bitcoin are you know, withdrawing their coins into cold wallets offline. Right. And that, that seemed to be the practice, at least from kind of from my memory, in terms of how people held like Bitcoin in its early days. Well, and when I spoke to the Human Rights Foundation grant recipients for the, that story I, I did earlier this year, you know, a couple of the major projects were designed, you know, for making, you know, a, um, an, a hardware wallet, right, where funds could be held and transported and, and even traded from an air-gapped hardware wallet, you know, effectively mm -hmm. a cell phone. There's been this effort, right, over the last few weeks, um, you know, in a, a position that was always there and present, right, in the, in the space, and it, you know, and held widely among Bitcoiners and Bitcoin maximalists, you know, this idea of Bitcoin, not crypto, right, that most crypto is actually bad, but that Bitcoin isn't, right, and this is this is going to be something we see everywhere in the industry. I think in the in the wake of this, right, which is you know an attempt to distinguish um, one cryptocurrency project over another one. You know, I think I want I'm going to do some work and some thinking and some writing in coming weeks about this Bitcoin not crypto position. Ending question. Here we go. So, is this a bear market for crypto or is it the end? That's the perfect answer right there. Just that, that long drawn out <laughs> sigh and we can just end it right there. Here's what has always been my answer to 
the long-term role of the idea of a non-state currency. Whatever lies ahead, you know, will be increasingly powerful private actors who need a way to create their own, you know, uh, credit, their own currency, their own value, and so they begin to issue currency right against significant source of wealth, right? I'm thinking of, you know, people like Jeff Bezos, you know, and 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 other sort of captains of post-industrial capital who, you know, especially in the context of a hyperinflating US dollar or other eco- economic catastrophe, will issue a non-state currency as like a, a means of making sure that the economy can keep going and they can keep, you know, trying to extract wealth from an unstable post-dollar context, right? Or at least this is what people believe is the inevitability of cryptocurrency, you know, if you're if you're a true believer. What I see, you know, from all of this is is that giant chunks of the industry are just symptomatic of that way the internet is always trying to create new frontiers of, of profit, getting people to believe that these things that aren't real, at least not from like a material standpoint, you know, have value and that you should spend money on them is one of the ways that capital has set about solving the problem of the falling marginal rate of profit. That that's where, you know, we, we ought to pause and consider, you know, what the Bitcoiners are saying when they talk about the future of their good coins in the face of what seems to be an industry that is beset on all sides by uh, fraud and scam and confidence games aplenty. Kind of to sum this up here, as long as people like Jack Dorsey are continuing to put hashtag Bitcoin, um, you know, in one's Twitter bio, it's going to continue to kind of exist and, 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 and do its thing. At what level? I don't know. What you're really asking is, you know, will... Will Bitcoin fulfill the role of non-state currency in the future? You know, I I think that's really a question of timing, right? I think I don't think Mm -hmm. there's any reason that that Bitcoin can't go to zero. I I don't think it's actually fundamentally all that different than these other projects. I think the whole thing is that it trades off of, you know, kind of this this bubble, right? That's happening around it, right? It trades off of being the good coin, yeah. Um, even though its value is inherently tied to the wider speculation on all of these other less savory uh, scams, you know? And so it's just the question of, you know, do people get wise to that reality of Bitcoin before, you know, or does Amazon start issuing its own separate currency, you know, aside from Bitcoin, you know, because it owns all of the supply lines, you know, to, to get you, your bread and meat and cheese, right? And I think that that's going to be you know, only there to be seen, something that we yeah. certainly can't know in the here and now. I saw something about like JP Morgan putting copyrights and basically like legal, uh, getting legal paperwork in order for creating its own crypto wallet. Like just today, in sure. light of everything going on right now, one of the biggest banks in the country is making this move to solidify its position in the industry. I mean, that's mind blowing. So for me, well, that's just the speed and pace of legacy capital reacting right. eight months late to <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> the market. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs>